Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. Hello, friends, and thank you so much for joining us for another Regarding Consciousness episode. I am Jennifer Cahill, founder of Optimal Match, OM.app, and it is a pleasure to have you here with us for another show as we explore what is the meaning of consciousness and how can we learn to harness the power of our consciousness to lead, live a deeply fulfilled life. Today, I'm grateful to have a new dear friend, Bruce Cryer, who was formerly the CEO of HeartMath back at its inception, as well as a musical theater New York guy who was living there and doing all that fun stuff. He taught at Stanford, wrote for the Harvard Business Review, and is just an all-around amazing human being who I've had the privilege of getting to know over the last few months. Bruce, it is such a pleasure to have you here with us today. And Tell us, what does consciousness mean to you and how do you use it in your own life? That's a tiny question. That's a good, like if we were at a cocktail party, that'd be a good opener. So what was your name again? Jennifer, I had fun thinking about this interview because this conversation really, because I'm, I get interviewed all the time and people have questions for me and whatnot. And I have certain things that I tend to say, but with uh, about the heart and my background, thanks to heart math and whatnot and creativity and all this. And I thought, for this, for today, I'm going to come completely blank. I don't know what I'm going to say about consciousness. And I think that's maybe one thing I would say about consciousness is that I have learned to, that the consciousness is, how do you even start to describe consciousness? Here I, here I am, my little point of individuated consciousness, part of the divine awesomeness, speaking one strand of possible perception. <laughs> about the nature of all that is. No no small task there. But I guess what I was heading with in this stream of consciousness that I got going right now with you is that the wonders that are possible in life when you open yourself to all that is and all that is possible. I think I was telling you one time when we spoke that I now view everything as consciousness in different forms and different densities. And that's easy for a lot of people to think of when you're thinking of the living world right? Because trees have consciousness. They have, now can they talk back to you? Many people would say yes. Not in a language that's necessarily human, but many people would say yes. But they aren't necessarily self-conscious, we don't think, but maybe they are. But they got all these sensory systems. So there's, there is consciousness at work. There is awareness of an environment. There is processing of that information and then it plays out as a tree growing or flowers blooming. So there's life at work. And another way of looking at it is it's all within a field of consciousness, whether we think of that as divine consciousness or the human capacity to perceive small windows of possible, all the possible consciousness. So I guess I'm, again, streaming along here with you, riffing along, that we're we perceiving as our consciousness in the moment or what even we whatever we even think consciousness may be, is still just one pixel of a kaleidoscope of all that consciousness actually is. Because it's never more than we can, what we're able to express is just one moment in time of one aspect of our own awareness of one tiny part of all <laughs> of all that is. So if all that's like t totally confusing, I say, stay in the wonder of it all. Stay in the curiosity that we're even able to talk about this. And from my individuated consciousness to yours, we were able to have a conversation. That's pretty cool. 
whatever is the nature of consciousness. That's pretty cool because mm -hmm. this is not a scripted conversation. You didn't, you had a question to ask me. I clearly did not have a scripted response. I'm all over the place in my answer to you. So I'm just finding a flow as are you now and what's your next response? So we're creating as we go with this a creative conscious experience. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Bruce. It reminds me of what my dear friend Don Hoffman always says is that we are all conscious agents. And Don even differentiates and says even trees are conscious agents. And there's just the differentiation between more complex and less complex conscious agents. And I love, by the way, Bruce, that you brought up the tree thing that you said trees may or may not have consciousness because ironically this morning, I have a very special relationship with the tree that is outside on my terrace. I sometimes like to just pause in the morning. And if I'm feeling a little bit wonky or ungrounded as I was this morning, I go outside and I put my left hand on the tree and I just tap in. I'm like deeper wisdom, consciousness. What, what message do you have for me? And it was so beautiful, Bruce, because the message I heard from the tree or consciousness of the tree, whatever you want to hear and call it, is the more that you learn to forgive yourself, the more you will be able to forgive others. And I don't know what it is, Bruce, but for five or six years now, I've been pausing and I'll connect to something in nature, a tree, a flower, and I'll pause and ask for a deeper wisdom. And the stuff that comes through is like beautiful poetry or deep pieces of wisdom that I, at a conscious Jennifer level, don't experience having access to, yet somehow the conduit of nature provides for an elevated level of conscious awareness, right? Absolutely. Uh, to me, that's a beautiful comment about trees, but about nature in general, that when I had this creativity model that I talk about in workshops that I teach and whatnot, and one of the, I talk about five catalysts to awaken creativity. And one of them I say is nature, but it's not just the normal nature. Oh, go out to get some sunshine, vitamin D and breathe the fresh air. And I'm saying, yeah, do all that way more than you're doing. Most likely, most people are like inside way too much, not moving way too much. But there's all another dimension to this is that we're, we're, when, you, when we walk outside, there's, these are living systems. And as we, talk, as we both talked about, trees themselves are in communication with other trees, with nutrients that are, they're shared under, through root systems. There is consciousness at work out there. Is it like human consciousness, thinking and feeling? We're not sure. Trees can pick up human emotion. I used to step out into my deck when I was living in Sausalito. I had two bamboo trees outside. I talk to them every morning. Hey, guys, <laughs> and out loud. And, and sometimes I'd be gone and I'd come back and think, oh, no, Andreas didn't water you properly. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You hug them. But I, these are living things. And no, they can't communicate like we do, but they communicate in ways we, we can't. Mm. So who's to say that they can't pick up intuitive messages, a bamboo tr tree on my, on my deck, a, a tree that out, outside on your terrace, an old oak that I saw in a park near where I'm staying now in Austin, that was like, damn, that's a gorgeous tree. And just feeling a presence, not gorgeous as in, oh my God, what a cute tree. But in the, from the standpoint of what has this tree experienced? What just standing in its presence was kind of an awesome feeling. And who's to say that they aren't conduit for intuitive information from another realm that we don't have easy access consciously to. Mm. So to nature is just an extension of the conscious field that we are all part of. 
So where does Bruce, I'm going to go completely off the rails here. When I do interviews as you're figuring out live as we riff through this is I like to intuitively feel into what our audience is interested in, what's being called for from the greater consciousness of humanity. And I feel like with everything happening in the world recently, we have these horrible earthquakes. There have been wars, there have been different things going on. And you have this beautiful background with understanding heart math and the heart's intuition. And here we were talking about the consciousness of plants and trees. What accounts for the darkness in the world? What accounts for the consciousness of what some might consider evil or some might consider challenges? How do we reconcile that beautiful heart opening energy of seeing a baby, a rainbow, a tree, and also at the same time juxtaposed against that the excruciating pain of seeing loss, death, war, famine. How do we reconcile all of that and maybe use our heart's wisdom to do so? It's very hard to reconcile. I, I don't pr pretend to think I've got an answer how you reconcile that. The, the sheer volume of suffering in that in the earthquake, the, the magnitude of some of what the earth is going through now. And I think part of it is, a big part of it is as a civilization, humanity is increasingly at a crossroads of acknowledging, yes, we are responsible for what's going on planet earth. These things that are happening that are obviously climate related, we absolutely are part of the cause of why the storms are more violent, while the upheavals of the earth are more or more violent as well. And to continue to include ourselves in the picture of why is the problem. And I think another big issue for humanity as a whole, and it's connected to that one I just mentioned, just as we can feel disconnected from nature and feel like what what does my recycling have to do with global warming? Or what is my, any little thing that I might do? We can be so myopic, but on a, another level to me of ultimate consciousness is there, there was a cause to consciousness even existing. And I'm not the cause of my own consciousness. You're not the cause of yours. I'm, I am the actor able to create a life based on a blueprint I did not consciously in this life. I came in with something. And I think many people are disconnected from any source beyond themselves. Don't believe in it or are afraid of that because the old religious models of God or Gaia or goddess or whatever don't suit them. They feel too man-made or they feel too punitive. It's a vengeful God. Like, why would I want to worship a vengeful God or all those kinds of things that affect our ability. And then, so then we just get enamored with things that just help ourselves because at least we can control that. And then we get all ca caught up with technology because, wow, technology is almost like God. And it's we can create amazing worlds and thinking, wait a minute, what's the source of all of it? Whether you want to call it God or not, you don't have to, I don't care. But there is a deeper energy, intelligence, cosmos behind all of it, in my opinion. And therefore, when to whatever we were out of touch with that as a guidance system, things go wrong in our lives. That's not to say accidents don't also happen and then we have to deal with them. I'm not saying every single thing was like planned by our soul and not, I don't see it that way. I don't, I'm a cancer survivor. There are those people who would say, "Oh, what was must something think it must have been really out of balance in your life to have gotten cancer." And I also had MRSA. Oh, wow, it must have been really out of balance. And then I had double hip replacement. Oh my God, wow, you not very coherent, are you, for your for a heart math guy? And I'm thinking well, that's very simple minded thinking that it's all just linear. We live in just a linear world. It's not complex, and there could be all kinds of 
reasons why things happen to us. Again, I think it's I think it's part of it of what's going on is just calling us to have a deeper respect for the unity of humanity and the unity of nature and the, the world and all the forces, animate and inanimate. And to, I think this is what COVID started to, in, in some weird way, as polarizing as it got, also got a sense of, I've got to stay connected to people. I've got to love people. I've got to be compassionate for people. I can't, I'm going through a rough time, but I, there's a million people going through way worse time than I am right now. So I need to reach out to them. We're not going to, we're not going to solve these issues by being separate and div- div- divided and polarized and hating each other for, I'm now, a, I'm a very blue guy in a very red state. <laughs> I wanted to look at it that way. Right. Yeah, that's the thing, though, is labels. It was funny, yesterday evening, I was at a dinner party here in Portugal. And at the dinner party, one of my favorite things, as you remember, we looked up your numerology when we first got on the call. And I was like, oh, numbers, your life past seven, deep pockets, and all these things. So last night, I'm at this dinner party with about eight or nine people. And everybody's gone around, and we're having a gay old time sharing everybody's numerology and what it means. And then this one girl, I'm not going to give you my birthday because I don't want to be boxed in by that, but I'll give you my boyfriend or my husband's birthday. (laughs) We had a little laugh about it because it is true, whether we're talking about blue or red, numerology, astrology, gender, sexuality, all of these different things, it does overall move us away from the unity that you're talking about. It moves us away from unitive narratives that allow us all to coexist and that is, whether it's religions and gods that cause people to be separate, it's this consciousness of separation. I am different. I am not you. I am different than the tree. I am different than Bruce. I am different than Joe or Susie or Bob, who's listening in right now. And I think that the the shift, the really critical paradigm shift that has the opportunity to occur. And I think that honestly, Bruce, we're seeing it happen right before our eyes right now is to move from you different to us the same. And how does that even work? Like, how do we take out the multitudes of millennia and hundreds of years of Darwinian evolution that says that, oh, survival of the fittest, we evolved to compete, not to cooperate. No, actually, it turns out the latest science shows us we did evolve to cooperate, not to compete. Though, how do you replace all of these old models and paradigms that civilizations have been built on and now rebuild them on cooperative, unitive components? And what was your last name again? <laughs> party. That was like another... PhD thesis type question. I've forgotten completely what even the question was now, but um, I can repeat it for you if you'd like. <laughs> no, I have, a, I have a, I do. I'm being cute. I'm being cheeky, and I'm being literal. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think the beauty of a question like that, or the simplicity of an answer that I come up with, is to soften our hearts and the, to allow ourselves to feel compassion for someone, no matter what their gender, sexuality, political orientation, race, ethnicity may be to recognize I go to, we're all children of God. A lot of people like, oh, he's become one of those guys now. So sorry, I've also very authentic. Oh, he's one of those guys. He's an authentic guy. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Much prefer people that are more guarded about everything and not just saying how they feel. I'm not evangelizer though, that's the thing. So ever since I was a child, the way I was raised, the UN was a big deal in my family. We'd go door to door at Halloween to raise money for the UN, for for UNICEF, for children. And that was kids all over the world, not kids in my town in Milburn, New Jersey. So from a child, I was always 
feeling, thanks to my parents and the family vibe I had, we had about thinking about all of humanity. That's who we were. My parents were pacifists. We cared about everybody in the world and war is going to kill everybody. We got to get off this mentality. And yeah, it's been going on for thousands and thousands of years. And I think it has to start at a certain human level of, Jennifer, you've become a close friend and we never even spoke to each other until five weeks ago. That's yeah. crazy. First it's time so we crazy. Actually it's spoke. amazing. That's feel- the beauty. <laughs> Exactly. And yeah, we've got a lot of common interests, common friends. We can talk any topic for a long time because we have a lot in common. Nevertheless, to me, it's because of the heart connection. We could run into a topic where we totally disagree, but I have enormous respect for you as a person. And I think it's mutual. So we wouldn't lose that even, I think, even if we disagreed about something. And so I think it's as simple as this is the silver lining sometimes in these disasters is, is the compassion that can, can come out if, we're, if we can allow ourselves to feel it. When I went through the health issues of cancer and staph infections and hip replacement, losing my mother at the same time, losing my marriage at the same time, I'd never experienced any of, anything even close to any of those things in my life other than the passing of my father. But nothing else. Had I n- no major illness, no major lost grandparents, but... That wasn't the same. Losing my father was a big deal. But to do all of that in less than two years, it was huge. And it, it kept opening my heart as it, as I grieved, my heart opened more. And as I would allow myself to, to grieve and be fearful, my heart would open more. And I began to realize there's, I have to feel deeply that I have, my mother is truly gone, even though she was going for 10 years with Alzheimer's and we hadn't been able to talk with her for years prior to her passing, when she was finally gone, she was really not here anymore. And so the grief of that, that allowed me eventually to, as time went on, to realize my love is now, my, my desire to live is now deeper, but my, also my desire to, and my, my compassion for what others go through is deeper because I've gone through things that people hear that story and think, oh my God, any one of those things could have crushed me. And you oh. went through all of that? in less than two years, whoa. And then I talked to other people who've gone through what stories and I think, oh my God, I couldn't possibly handle that. How did you do? So what it did for me was opening up a whole nother level of compassion for, uh, for what other people go through, the silent burdens that so many people carry. I think we have to get to that point. We have to get to that point that we, do, we truly don't know what has gone on in another person's world, what they have suffered, that they may be behaving in a certain way now that is absolutely abhorrent and dangerous and may need to be dealt with, but that doesn't mean they as a human are worth, are absolutely worthless. Who knows what suffering they endured that broke them so badly that they know they have no way to interact with humans other than to be aggressive or dangerous or violent or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. So I'm not excusing the behavior that's coming out. There's somebody that's being removed from the organization that I'm part of right now because of the toxic behavior. And at the same time, I want to feel compassion for that person for whatever has happened in the life of that person to cause such kind of outrageous behavior. Yeah, you are so right. It's making me think of two things. One was the movie Crash. Do you remember that movie from 15, 20 years ago? It was a wonderful, I think it won an Academy Award. And I will always remember there was this horrific cop, the famous actor who played him. And he was a jerk and he was racist and he was being completely inappropriate. And then it gives you backstory of it lets you into his life and sees that he's taking care of an ill mother who can't take care of herself and like the pain he's going through as a son. I think that so often, Bruce, we don't know each other's stories. We don't know each other's one amazing thing. And it was illustrated so beautifully to me yesterday evening when I was at this dinner party 
my friend had created an idea of you create these parties based on Thomas Jefferson, who, when he was president, would gather people around a dinner table and present a problem that was facing the country and allow everybody to go around the table and just to share what's their insight. There's so much wisdom we all have. And so the question that was posed at the table yesterday evening was, what is one thing that is breaking your heart recently? And my God, Bruce, like to we had all been just sitting around socializing. Lots of people are having glasses of wine. We're all talking about how we wind up in Lisbon. And then person one goes, and she just went through like a horrific breakup, fiance laughter, heartache. Person two just lost her father and just went through a heartache. And it's and then you just start going around the room and you're like, oh my God, here were these happy-go-lucky people you were speaking with seven or eight minutes ago. And yet when somebody bears their heart and bears their soul, and when you discover the person who might be toxic in a workplace or in a relationship, and yet at the base of that toxicity, that toxic behavior is really a pain, a hurt that seems insurmountable. And the only way the person seems to be able to remedy or deal with it is by exuding this toxicity because they're just so hurt that they have no other way that they can express themselves. So it does give you really great compassion for others and for ourselves, which I think is so beautiful. We have to do that. There's no escaping that step because if we only stay in the mind, we're going to stay locked in our perspective and be convinced that my perspective on everything is the only and proper one. There's 8 billion of us. There's no way I have all the truth. We just have to have that as foundational to how we raise our kids, how we interact, how our organizations are, how anything that we do can be filled with compassion as much as possible. And that can seem overwhelming for people to hear me say that. Seriously, now you're expecting me to be compassionate for everybody in the world? I have enough problems. And I'm saying, I hear you. And yes, I am saying, let's try. I'm going to argue that point. Remember how you said, I think you're going to agree with me on this, but I'm going to argue that point. I think the secret is having compassion for the self because yeah. you cannot have an ounce of compassion for another human being until we give that ounce to ourselves first. And I think that is why we see so many angry, upset people who are struggling in the world is because we have not taught ourselves self-compassion, which is why I, like you, am so passionate about heart mass work is the more that we practice connecting to our heart, connecting to coherence in ourselves, the greater our capacity. It's very challenging to be compassionate for ourselves or anybody else when we're sure. incoherent and operating on fumes. And I think that's so beautiful about the work that you pioneered in the space. Yeah, I think whatever works most best for people, I did find also in the years of teaching heart math that the hardest it was easier for many people to find gratitude for someone else than for themselves. They could feel gratitude for their grandma or their favorite teacher or a favorite f friend, a BFF or whatever, but applying that to themselves, like, oh no, that's, that feels so awkward. Because everybody's different in that regard. I think some people, if, if they can't find it for them, they can do it for others, but it starts getting thinner and thinner because they're not really nourishing themselves because of some sh inner shame. I've gotten in touch with shame about some things in, in the, recently that... Like I've got to, I've got to stay on that because to the degree to which that's still in me, that's seeping out in behaviors and perspectives and everything. But I think we're, it's all about the heart. So whatever feels like the access point for a person, I think the main thing you, one of the main things you just said was heart mass focus around helping people understand why they would want to follow their heart, listen to their heart, 
pay attention to the physical rhythms of their heart, pay attention to the emotions that can swirl around as though it was in the heart itself and to really be, become a student of that, be curious about all of that and allow yourself to feel all of it. And that's something I really did. I really, as I was going through all the health stuff and the challenges of, I didn't even mention that during that two years I was toying with stepping down as CEO. I was still CEO during that almost that entire two year period, still traveling 100,000 miles a year while dealing with all of that stuff. And this other current was like, I think I've done what I was supposed to do here. I think I'm. it's time to start to figure out the next phase of, of how I can serve humanity with the heart. It wasn't ever getting away from the heart. It was more like what's next for me. And uh, that was very hard to face a question like that in myself. Having been there for 20 years, known the founder 10 years earlier than that, known many of the people 10, 15 years before HeartMath even started, many still dear friends. Learning to be, learning to pay attention to the heart and do what it takes to get the system of the heart alive again and not fearful and not afraid, and not ca always cautious and always skeptical and always, well, I can't trust this, I can't trust that because I've been hurt in the past. And, We've been, we've all been through there, I'm sure. And, but there is a strength that can emerge. And sometimes it is, it has to start by loving nature, going outside and loving a tree, you know, getting grounded to something beyond yourself that then fortifies yourself to realize I'm not this tiny little thing. I am actually connected to all of it. That makes me huge. That's so powerful, Bruce. I think that is the thing when we get out of our little like I, me, mine self and we get into the bigger we, ours, us and that we're all in this together. We saw it in COVID. I think it shows up now with the Ukraine war, with what's happened with the earthquakes. Yeah. When we can shift our perspective from me to our to integrate that into how we live our lives with compassion. It's not about perfecting yourself. I was on a beautiful call with a dear friend and mentor of mine earlier, and we were talking about the struggles of being a female perfectionist and how it feels debilitating sometimes. And she was giving me a great works, workshop exercise thing to do. And she said, Jen, I want you to write down what are your values? Write them all down and write down everything you think you might ever want to potentially accomplish in your life and then get rid of a hundred things and leave five. And those five things are the things that you need to focus your energy and attention on because we get so distracted, Bruce, with shiny object and there's this and that we don't take care of ourselves. And then we become so diminished that we become a shadow of our earlier selves. And I think that's why so many of us are drawn to television, social media, just to numb ourselves from actually asking what are our values? What lights our hearts up? What is going to get Bruce or Jen or any one of us out of bed today? And how do we connect to that spark of joy that rests in each and every one of our hearts? And that would be my request for everyone. What is that spark of joy that maybe you've been neglecting? Maybe it's been whispering softly in your heart or your ear for days, weeks, months, years, decades. And listen for that still quiet spark that is speaking to you in the trees, in the wind, and your boss who is telling you that you're fired and it may seem terrible, but I myself went through that once. I know many others. Sometimes the universe lovingly pushes us out of one experience, just like you've been sharing this whole show, Bruce, and into our destiny and what we're being called for. Things serve us for a certain amount of time. And then we have the opportunity to lovingly release them back to where they came from. And so on that note, Bruce, I would love to ask you, are there any other, are there any closing thoughts that you have, any pearls of wisdom you'd like to leave our listeners with 
uh, maybe something around the heart or something around your own wisdom that you've cultivated from your years of experience and doing all the beautiful work you've done on this planet? Two, two phrases, in addition to everything we've just said about the heart and the importance of loving more and being more compassionate and softening. I think that's an important word. Soft, Doc Childry, the founder of HeartMath, has used the phrase soft heart. Mm. Sometimes the heart has to be strong, it has to be courageous and brave to deal with big challenges. Other times it needs to be soft mm. to be able to receive another's pain, to be able to acknowledge self-doubt, self-guilt, shame, whatever it may be, so a softening. But the other two words I wanna just put out is our, create, our curiosity and playfulness. And they're very linked, right? When there's curiosity, tend to have a little more playful attitude towards things when you're just always, you're sure of yourself and that's a brittle, rigid kind of way of approaching mm -hmm. life. But I think both of those qualities come from the heart. As kids, we don't think, it's just natural to be curious, natural to be playful. It's not, oh, my, my child's so in their heart, they can be playful. It's just who they are. It's just their being is playful and curious. And most of us tend to, it's very sad. And I'm the Pied Piper of not losing that, guys. If we've lost it, it's, let's get it back because the spirit of playfulness and the childlike wonder of true curiosity is all about being alive and embracing whatever's going on and making it fun if it starts to turn dark and you don't want it to go dark. Just being silly. I laugh, I laugh out loud at myself while I'm alone on a regular basis of something Aww. I've done or something that I've said or something that I've thought, I'm just, dude, what were you thinking? You're now in this room and you don't remember why you got here. I'll actually say out loud and just kind of laugh at myself. And, but I think that's an important quality. So curiosity and playfulness and those two things to me are the fountain of youth actually mm -hmm. and on every level. I couldn't agree more, Bruce. Where can people connect with you if they'd like to do so? I'm on social, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, just my name. I use my actual name. <laughs> it seems like that's getting less and less common. And, and I've got my own, and my own website, brucecryer.com, also cleverly named. Hey, I have jennifercahill.com. I'm not going to judge you, my friend. It's been such a pleasure to have you here again. Bruce Cryer, the former CEO of HeartMath, has been here with us today, who is a pioneer in his own forms of consciousness and an all-around incredible human, as you've seen today. So thank you so much for being here with us, Bruce. Thank you for tuning in. Please let us know if you have any questions. Put it in the comments on YouTube. And uh, we're so grateful that you joined us today. Thank you. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S, Dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.